0: Hello and welcome to Mayaboga Conversations. My name is Lee Albert and this is MyBoga.com. I'm here today with Rocky Caravelli uh, who's now living in San Miguel de Allende, four hours from Mexico City. Rocky has been 18 years uh, working in the area of Ibogaine. Uh, he has completed 850 treatments, uh, and at the present time, he works with an organization in Gabon called Falcon Eye, who, are undergoing, who undertake restorative work for plant medicines, uh, not just in Gabon. They have a farm of 30,000 mature plants. Um, before Rocky uh, got, became involved in uh, his work with Ibergain. He was working uh, as, as a uh, carpet layer and and, and dealing with uh, floors and so on and so forth. Uh, so uh, it's it's a it's a privilege and an honor to have Rocky on the show because he has a lot of experience and a lot of information he can give us. And I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how he uh, sees the evolution of the Iberian movement from the time that he became involved. Um, So I'm very pleased to have Rocky uh, here with me today, and I look forward to the information and wisdom that he will be sharing with us that others can benefit from. So Rocky, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you. That's a beautiful introduction. And uh, and kudos back to you for all the work that you've been providing over the decades, Um, you know, specifically to help people find safe treatments and information and clarification around Ibogaine and Iboga for both spiritual and for medical detox. So thank you. Thank you, Lee.
0: Well, (gasps) that's kind of you to say. So maybe you can start, you know, with telling our listeners Uh, how you first um, became aware of iboga and ibogaine?
1: Um, Sure. You know, I mean, I don't want to get stuck too much on the story in the beginning, but um, in my case, it was because of chemical dependency. I really hadn't much of a history of opiate um, uh, addiction until the last year of that particular using spree. Uh, But prior, the 17 years prior to that, uh, I was in and out of, uh, uh, I guess, twelve-step you know, and uh, whatever conventional modality of treatment programs and rehabilitation centers, state and private-funded, um, for methamphetamine. I, I I I developed a real strong relationship with methamphetamine in 1991, um, at the time when you know they had access to the chemicals and. I kind of like chemistry, so ended up getting together with these guys and got highly addicted to methamphetamine. So I had been a methamphetamine addict for around 17 years when I was introduced to heroin. And then the combination is what kind of led me to the desperation of realizing that like opiates is a whole nother game. And a couple months into it, found myself physically dependent. And that's when I started reaching out for solutions. And and that was just when Suboxone had first come out. This was in 2002. And that was our choice, you know, spend $4,400 on Suboxone or, or go down and spend $6,000 for the two of us and take Gain. And at the time, Gain was just a, was just a a whisper in, in the world. And, um, I, I connected with uh, Richie uh, in Florida, and he kind of gave me an outline of how they were providing sessions and the the necessary components for us to be able to come, bringing a nurse and all this kind of stuff. And then he said, why, why don't you go down to these guys in Tijuana, uh, the Ibogaine Association. And so after 10 months of saving up uh, weekend garage sales and you know trying to support a habit and a whole family and kids and houses and cars and everything somehow after 10 months i got the call to come on down that we were ready and that we could receive treatment and that was on december 2nd 2003
0: okay so you you had actually we've had a conversation before so i have some idea of 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 the history uh, you had three sessions which um were particular significance you had your initial session where uh, you overcame the detox uh, and detoxed then it was um, uh, you went up to Oregon is that right after that
1: well what it was was about eight eight nine months they were all eight nine months apart so in 24 month period I had three sessions and my first session of course was a physical detox and after about eight or nine months i took ibogaine for the second time and that was more like what i would consider a mental emotional detox it was like going down to the next level and that was where i did my internal work so the first the first eight months i was working with people at the clinic i was a sitter i was i was basically learning how to provide the medicine i was guiding the doctor at the time and uh, was able to uh you know, start to get a uh, feel of how this medicine worked based based on a very, very consistent dosing regimen. And then after I moved to Oregon, after the second session, I was able to get a personal therapist and got into the awakening in a dream group, uh, which was um, by Paul Levy and was able to integrate my process, which was this whole new experience because the first process, of course, I was kind of like out on my own and luckily i had a lot of history in uh in recovery so i was able to get myself through that so paul levy uh sponsored the awakening in the dream groups and that's where i began to do some integration work in other words it was the first time that there was a, a support of members um they didn't have anything to do with drugs or alcohol or anything like that but they they were a Jungian analyst style a uh, group where we were trying to dream ourselves up, not dream ourselves down. And uh, it was a, a very honest, direct, confrontational-type group where we were trying to break through our, sh- our unconscious shadows. And so, you know, in a lot of cases, it's really difficult because what's in non-conscious When revealed can activate a lot of different emotional reactions whether it's defense or denial or whatever Um, so this began the first stages of learning how to integrate ibogaine uh, treatments i worked with several members of that group um, and same thing they processed their integration within the group and we started to develop a small uh select members that came down with me the first year when we opened up the clinic. So I was with that group for about two years and we were doing treatments. Um, I guess it was the underground, uh, in Portland, Oregon, basically in my spare bedroom, uh, and was getting ready to basically come down to, to do some work in Mexico, but I was waiting for permission. And what happened was my third session, eight months after, the second one, I was introduced to Buiti uh, by a young woman who had worked with one of the 13 grandmothers in Gabon, uh, Bernadette Riponet. She was a student of hers. And that was my first introduction to Buiti. And so by that time I had done my physical detox. Um, Then I'd done my own internal cleanup work, my mental emotional detox. And then I was actually ready to receive the message from from the Iboga. Um, Iboga had introduced himself to me in the very first session as a spirit. Um, and it had been a little intimidating, but uh, I, I felt deeply in love with his mission. And basically, we, we became pals. And in the third session, he outlined an entire um, guideline for opening a clinic and what exactly... I needed to provide in order to do this safely, effectively, traditionally, and most important, something new that was actually going to help people with chemical dependency have better odds at successive recovery.
0: Right. So what's interesting is that uh, you worked with the Awakening, the Green Dream group in Oregon, and the bogus often referred to as an Uh, honorinic substance which you know which um, uh, leads to dreams while one is awake and I know that you started your own uh, clinic then later called Awakening in the Dream which now is evolving to Awakening in the Dream group reflecting your own change of direction if you like from treating people which you've done 850 people to um, to now uh, post treatment and you underline something very important is the importance of therapy. Uh, and in your case, you were working, you were doing young therapy, which I think is quite interesting, uh, considering the nature of how Ibogaine works. So you started your clinic in where was it exactly?
1: Um, in San Pancho, Nayarit, which is 45 minutes north of Puerto Vallarta. Um, I lived in Sayulita, which is where I first arrived when I came down to um, the Nayarit coast. And I'd had one trip to Puerto Vallarta. I thought I was going to be going to the south end of Puerto Vallarta, but it ended up in the north part, which is a beautiful, beautiful jungle bay. Uh, It's a surfing cove. And then we moved up to the next town, three kilometers north, San Poncho, or San Francisco uh, is, is what it's known, um, because they had a nice hospital there. Uh, so we had a hospital three, three blocks away from the Dream House, and my doctor, uh, Jose Luis Chavez, who I met on day three uh, upon my arrival to Silita, I didn't even know where I was going. I just got on a plane on a Wednesday on, on October 26th and just flew down there like – um, kind of just on uh, the trust that it was all going to work out, and I did. I met Doc on uh, day three. Um, he started working with me from the very beginning. I was working with in ten days. We had people coming down. I mean, it was kind of like you know that movie. Uh, if you build it, they will come. Um, I mean, we didn't we didn't know if anybody was going to come. You know, it was, like, it was it was really a risk, and we just kind of put it out there. We hadn't even built a website yet you know it's uh scott close from uh from the portland dream group um he was he was the one who had been helping me and is also a plant medicine man himself and he was the one that really introduced me to the nature of the spirits of the plants and he's written a couple books also um or one book here up in portland uh, the medicinal plants of the Pacific Northwest. And he has groups every week and stuff. Anyway, Scott, uh, built the site. I I wrote the material during sessions right before I left. Um, so I, you know, I'd gotten this little computer, which I'd never used a computer before. And, uh, and then we moved down to Mexico and started this little this little idea and, and right away it, it, it kind of took hold within a, a year we had obtained somebody had bought a house as an investment um they had both taken Gain, uh, and they wanted to know what they could do to help out with what we were doing we said look if you if you could get this house then we could get our licensing because i was a licensed medical detox i was above ground operation um I didn't want to be looking over my shoulder. I was trying to do everything according to um, the regulations at the time, and we did. We were able to obtain a, uh, uh, a license to operate a, a medical detox. The corporation was Botanicals Disintoxification Tractiamenta Natural. So it allowed us to work with natural plants in a traditional fashion, in a holo- holistic manner, but it was also registered as a a medicalized supervised detox.
0: So what year was that when you started the clinic?
1: Well, 2006, the first full moon in January, I did the first opiate detox in San Poncho, and we kind of called that day one. Even though I'd gotten there in October and did several sessions, I didn't do any detox work until after the first of that year. And so we kind of felt that that was an appropriate um first day so so to speak um it was a difficult treatment he'd been addicted for a long long time um but it was successful and uh it went smooth and i remember the full moon that night and looking at it and going i think this is our uh this is our like birthday so every january changes of course the first full moon in january um but, you know, being in Mexico, it's a little bit more of a Mayan calendar type, um, you know, understanding around here. Um, they, they follow the solar cycle a lot more, it seems. And so it seemed respectful to uh, use that system as a, as a means for uh, creating the date of the beginning of the establishment.
0: Okay, so I know from talking with you that you take a uh, spiritual approach to the work that you do. And if someone contacts you, you like to have some kind of a sense of connection. Um, So, um, you know, I guess uh, with the people who have come to you, have you ever felt that that it wasn't a good mix or anything like that?
1: You know, absolutely. I mean, it, it was a big transition coming from Portland where I would meet people at a coffee shop and I would get to see them face to face. Um, then it was this whole new thing where this is like a major, not only in an investment but a commitment. It it became a pilgrimage to come from the United States down to Mexico, in preparation to take ibogaine for detox. And we started realizing the value in it. Um, but from our from our point of view, as far as screening goes, we had to start really listening. Number one. And you'd have to feel like, you know, is this person coming from their ego? Like, who's talking to me? Like, it will, it, this person's calling and asking for help to take ib. What part of this individual is talking to me? Is it the ego looking for a shortcut around, you know, not wanting to take the time it takes to make the changes in their life to, to resolve their chemical dependency? Or is it really that they're called to the medicine? So it, it, it was a whole whole process. There was a few people that came down and normally we would always have them do medical tests prior to coming down you know because if they came down and had bad tests then I can't give them medicine so they just wasted all their time and money and some of our time um coming down and then not being able to receive treatment so there was a few that I would bend on that situation and a couple of them for whatever reason um could t- not take medicine there's a couple people who I just uh it was a handful of people, maybe five total that came down that I could not provide medicine for. A couple of which I found other placement, um, uh, clinics that had, uh, higher grades, uh, medicalized supervision, you know, where they were IVing them and having them on a, uh, uh, an EKG, you know, like, like the first time I went through, you know, in a, in a hospital, um, we were trying to stay away from that. So I, I, I had like certain limitations of, of what we could really build into the house as far as a, a medically supported, um, detox center. Um, but there was limits, you know, there was limits. And so whenever I saw those limits, I basically, basically Claire at the time, was up in Tijuana and had taken over to the Tijuana clinic. I was treated in the Ibogaine association and she kind of, she kind of went down that road a little bit more where she, she had a much more medically, medically supervised, a lot more equipment on a lot more staff, um, nurses and doctors and stuff like that present during the session. Um, so there was a lot of times that I rolled, rolled people over towards her, if I felt that we couldn't safely provide, you know, what people were asking.
0: Okay, Uh, so uh, but I guess where I'm coming to is that um, you feel that you have a a connection with the plant spirit. And now uh, you are at a stage where you wish to go beyond just providing treatment, but helping people more in their journey. Uh, through your new uh, group or um, it's your new website, wakeningadreamgroup.com. Do you want to just say a little about, about about what you're doing with that?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, like I said, from why people come to ibogaine, they come for different reasons, and, and and in my case, it was because of chemical dependency. But the the consistency that runs through the consistent thread that runs through all of this is people having a desire to create a deeper understanding and relationship with themselves. And, and the way that I was able to do this was by deepening my relationship with the spirit of a boga directly. In other words, through the guidance of that particular spirit, my life got better. Um, the, my my way of, of living got better, my way of thinking got better. And so this is something that we wanted to share was, was how to develop the relationship to the boga. Um, there were several of us that got struck by lightning around that same time, and so we were looking at this phenomena of, of how come uh, not everybody has this type of experience. And uh, what we're trying to do today is work with people who are already on a path of recovery, who maybe hit an obstacle in their in their in their progress, and and can I begin b- be something that helps overcome it? So. You know, we've we've shifted a lot from where we were, and where we were basically doing uh, initiatory uh, type um, doses to resolve addiction, but but also using initiatory doses to get to to the, with every individual in order to get to the core underlying issues for whatever manifestation they were struggling with. And so, yeah, the the change between, you know, coming from San Pancho, where it was pretty much that was our reputation, was providing this initiatory experience. And today we're still doing that, but, but we're doing it in a much gentler fashion. And in some cases, that's not at all what people are are needing. They're not needing their life completely splintered and broken down. In other words, they're already... Like on you know they're halfway there, let's say, and they and they need some help to kind of continue on through their pr- progress on their path, and so we're trying to kind of fill those spaces, and of course, you know, I mean we work with eight hundred and fifty people safely, by the way, um, without without very very many incidences um, and no fatalities um, and so they're part of our tribe or are they part of our community and so i'm continuing to work with those people also who as they move through life may run into problems or complications or divorces or losses and and of course our door is open and and we want them to come down anytime they need uh, or if there's a, a situation where we can help them out so it's kind of like what we're we're trying to we're trying now to basically work with our past clients and doing heavy screening for those in the local community and in in specific times when it's called for uh working with people for detox but all of this goes through a filter you know whether it's me or asha and that filter is the spirit of the of of the plant and and this is the god I, i feel like this is like the missing piece i hear all this information about you know, all the medical aspects of, of the safety standards of of how to keep people stable and how to prepare them. And, and, and I, and I'm not disagreeing with them because you're, you're dealing with a, a fragile population in, in a lot of cases in detox. Um, but, but Iboga itself is very stable. It's, it's the individual who has the instabilities and it's, you know, it's a big deal to create a trusted, open relationship with each and every client so that we can best protect and serve them in a way where we're not acting like cops, or bosses, or directors, or any of that stuff. In other words, uh, it's a free will clinic, um, and we're hoping that people will take self-responsibility in revealing uh, the information we need so that we can best safely provide whatever care and service that they're looking for. And, you know, in each case, there's a prior to them coming down, I do a meditation and then upon arrival. And it's amazing how I'll meet somebody in person and do an intake evaluation because we always get them right when they arrive because they're really under stress and they've been traveling. So it's a good first reading on their physical stability. Um, And then that night I'll dream about them. So it's 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 an amazing kind of phenomena that. Somebody I've never met before, maybe talked to a few times on the phone and arrives. And then that night, I'll have a dream about them. And then in a lot of cases, it'll be around the treatment itself. And so each and every time before we do session, I'd go into this meditation and I ask, you know, how can I best, you know, serve thee? And, you know, normally I'll get a protocol um, for the first approach into treatment, which invariably will change based on circumstances and conditions as the moments arise but it gives a general outline and it's kind of like a uh, a slot machine when you pull the wheel all these different aspects of their character their history their their upbringing their drug of choice their reason for using where they came from their age group like all these variables kind of like roll by and then all of a sudden it all stops and there's kind of like a clear imprint of a protocol in order to best achieve what it is that they've come for. And that's not, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't claim any responsibility for, um, that I, I feel is is some level of a gift, um, that was offered to me, but it's been a consistent and a, um, uh, available resource that at any given time that we can turn to, and I think it's been one of the main reasons why no one's ever gotten hurt down here, is uh, we we listen for this for this type of okayness or whatever. Or kind of use the the red, yellow, green light kind of uh, system of, of, uh, waiting for the right moments before we begin. I'm never in any hurry to give anybody medicine. We're not on a clock. Um, uh, people will get frustrated even with the time it takes for us to prepare them. Uh, but it's like, you know, when it's time, you know, when they're ready and it has, you know, there's a long list of all the things that it takes to get people ready. And I don't know if we want to talk about that, but, um, this dependence upon the Spirit is is the vital essence of success and why I feel that we've been able to help as many people as we've been able to help and to be able to do it safely.
0: Okay, so you came down from Oregon in 2006 with uh, four members of your group. Um, and uh, so they decided to come down with you to, to set up the clinic? Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. then originally you were doing you were you were doing both uh, psychospiritual and uh, uh, chemical dependency. Um, so your own session, the last session you had was in two thousand and five. Is that right? The, the third session was in two thousand and five.
1: Um, I've had yeah, I've had many ses- sessions since then. But that was when I that's when I was introduced to Weedy and I received my mission.
0: Okay, so you came down in two thousand and six, uh, and then you stayed in uh, Port Folio <coughs> Uh, for uh, approximately 10 years, right? So you saw it as a 10-year project.
1: That's Um, correct. And and that's what I I mean, from the very beginning, I was willing to give 10 years of my life towards this. That was kind of the agreement coming out of that third session when the Spirit had presented most aggressively uh, what he wanted. And it it, it wasn't even 24 hours later that that Richie called me and said, hey, are you still thinking about wanting to set up a clinic? And we and that's where we um, basically joined forces and uh, and I came down and opened the clinic. So, yeah.
0: Okay. so. um, Okay. so why did you decide then uh, to, you know, that your 10 year project was finished?
1: (laughs) Well, like I said, that was the committed time that I was willing to provide. And by that time, I was tore up. Uh, I'd gone through two major infections. Um, I started to drink uh, alcohol uh, along this time. And near the end of it, it started to become a problem. Um, You know, plus my coming in and out of hospitals put me back on I had seven years without opiates and then i had a um uh, a disc deteriorate and a bone marrow infection in my spine you know, one of the most painful things i've ever had um that put me back on opiates so then i had to come back down to the clinic and detox and it uh after 10 years i was like it, it was pretty much, we were wrapping it up. It, the town was changing. It was th- just the elements of change were upon us. And uh, and it, I came actually a little bit early. I came a year early, and Asha finished up that last year, um, closing down the uh, the clinic. And I I sobered up. <laughs> I was like, I, I can't live this way. And uh, so I came to San Miguel. And sobered up and started getting my health back
0: so what was it you know that motivated you to take on this work why do you stay in it
1: uh, well you know it, it came from the first experience there was i i don't know how to say it but you know i mean i've had children and i love my children like more than anything and i've never loved anything as much as that And when I met Iboga, I had almost the same feeling, almost the same depth of, I don't know, like I just, I just fell in love with it. Um, And then, you know, combining with all the years of struggle and, I mean, it gave me something. It gave me this huge gift and let me out of my, you know, methamphetamine addiction and um, and my opiate dependency – and and so there was this, like, what what can I do to learn, but number one, learn about this? Because if this could be implemented into conventional treatment programs, which was what my, my ultimate goal was, wasn't very well received and still isn't. Um, but I just kept thinking, God, the combination of this as a foundation for people's recovery, even if they go into conventional treatment, their whole attitude will be different. So there was, like a fulfillment of all the searching, I guess, that I had gone through in my own, you know, somewhat successful periods of recovery. Um, and then suddenly this, this very physical, spiritual medicine came into my life and kind of resolved that, that, um, uh, how do I say it? That feeling that, the spirit world is over there and I'm over here. All of a sudden, I felt like I was either in the spiritual world or it was in my world, that like we were sharing it. I could feel it. I could feel it in my in the air that I breathe. I could feel it in my heart beating. I could feel it in my thoughts. The spirit came into me. and um, And I felt like I was on a mission that was like written in the book of Lords that was like, this is going to happen. And I, I was the, one of the characters that was going to play a part in this role. And my role was, I was the front man. Well, you, you, you so, certainly
0: have uh, played your part. And um, you am wondering, uh, when you set up your own clinic, uh, You sa- you said that you learned from the mistakes of others. So what... Types of things uh, did you feel were important in setting up your own clinic?
1: Well, like I said, the, the first thing we needed to do is we needed to equalize the relationship between the per- person providing the treatment, right, which can be interpreted in many ways, a healer or a, you know, like all these, a doctor or I'm, I'm, I'm just like you. I, well, the first thing we wanted to do is an even playing field, eye to eye. I'm just like you. I just took began a few years before you. Um, this was like vital to the trust and establishing a relationship to work with people well. Uh, you know, we weren't in a hurry, so it wasn't like I needed to search their bags. I didn't. I didn't need to take on the role of cop. Nobody wanted that role anyway. It sucks. It's, it's a horrible role. Um, Being the policeman of a bunch of people trying to get off drugs is like herding kittens, you know, it's like, so anyway, uh, the other thing was, is I wanted to, I wanted to provide a treatment I wish that I could have participated in, like, well, what would have happened if I came down and and, and I was treated with Ibogaine in this manner, Um, you know, hey, the Ibogaine worked, I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't disputing its efficiency but it was hard it was a hard integration it was a hard coming back to the states it was it's like being dropped on your head you know it's like uh so you know we were trying to figure out ways to make it as good of an experience for people and treating them respectfully so that they can start to develop their own self-respect and start to realize that they actually are creating this for themselves this is where the dream started to happen was we dreamed up the dream house and then we were trying to let people realize that you dreamed us up to create the dream house for you to come and receive treatment. So you own this treatment, this treatment. We're just characters in your dream providing something that you deep down inside want for yourself. So people are owning their recovery. This is another major factor that isn't well. Um, there isn't a lot of emphasis shine on this this aspect of of, of recovery that you have you have to do your own recovery i mean this is like you have to choose that this is what you want but if you haven't got good reason to choose that or if the reasons uh to choose that aren't very positive in other words it's worse than the life you're living um not many people are going to go down that road so um That's the psychological aspects of it, that we were trying to create a new modality of a free will clinic where you come and it's your decision to take Ibogaine. And this is difficult because people try to push people into Ibogaine all the time. Then there was the whole physical aspects that, that I had learned from watching seventy-five treatments with the same protocol of five milligram five milligrams per kilogram of hydrochloride, followed forty-five minutes later by ten milligrams. Howard Lotsoff's standardized protocol. that was from like the eighties. So you know, we had changed, you know, I just watched 75 treatments and was just like kind of bookmarking in my head. Well, it would have been a good idea if we would have waited a couple hours in between the first and second dose. Maybe if we broke the second dose up 20 minutes apart, they would have thrown up the, in 15 minutes and blown it all out. And then now we don't know how much medicine's in it. So just through the observation of that first year, which was a huge, huge benefit to just be an observer to a standardized protocol and seeing the seeing the good points and and seeing the flaws and then you know having trouble with people on day three where they run out of electrolytes and that is not pretty their uh, hearts can go into a defibrillation and they start to have a breathing attack and normally start stop breathing Uh, We had three of those where they ran out of magnesium and potassium and electrical conduction. So there was a whole four days that we would prepare people and stabilize them on a, on morphine, long acting morphine, um, you know, without any like consideration for the tolerance. It wasn't about that. All we wanted them to do is be very stable, sleep well, eat well, deal with the constipation, make sure that their bowels are moving and that they're not clogged up, uh, modifying their diet and then the supplementation and then a whole preparation of, you know, we did a river wash for a long time. And so there were some spiritual aspects also that we implemented that were traditional of Bwiti, but we weren't buiti. We didn't want to, we didn't want, even though we used the traditional music, it wasn't our goal to become buiti but we but in all plant medicine circles there's a certain traditions that are similar and so we tried to be as neutrally based because we were getting people from all kinds of walks of life from all over the world and like myself they had no idea of the spiritual context behind this medicine until you experience it and that's what's true for weedy anyway they say you see with your own eyes there's no point me trying to describe it to you the only way you're going to know is by doing it and so we, we we followed that we followed those those guidelines and and people were actually appreciative of the small ceremonial aspects and offerings that we provided we always provided a a um a beaded bracelet in other words, I was asking the spirit as a favor to help this individual to achieve whatever goals they were. And and I didn't expect them to understand, but I understood that you have to give something to the spirit when you ask a favor. So we make these bracelets. Uh, everyone I've ever worked with has received one of these bracelets. And they're Venetian trade bead bracelets that were originally used as slave trade beads and uh, and ironically uh gabon Libreville was a slave port so they really loved these beads there um and so it, iboga loves these beads so it became this tradition from day one when we were even in tijuana and didn't even consciously realize what we were doing we were giving gifts to people um but it was really for the iboga saying thank you and then we created a huge altar in the house where people had brought gifts which we still have today of all these gifts and offerings to the spirit um thanking him for the freedoms and the services that he provided to help people so we wanted to make sure that this was a conscious presence that this is somewhat of how we are manifesting our providership is through the medium of the wisdom of the aboga itself
0: right so uh- you you when people come to stay with you they basically become part of the family and it's within a beauty conscious uh, environment would that be fair to say
1: yeah i mean there's 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 definitely like you know um if you look for it you'll see it if you're not looking for it it's not dominating in other words um there might there may have been a year there when magenda came you know from africa and had had been working with me to help understand and bring Ibogaine and Ob- Aboga together. And that was an awesome period of time. And he's a Buitist, right? So it's like, you know, we were doing Buiti sessions with him. And um, and it's really wonderful to be in traditional Buiti ceremonies. You know, I mean, the singing and uh, just everything. its It's magic, you know, it's magic. So there was a little time where we got a little over our heads with it got a little little woo wooey or whatever but it, within a year we kind of got back to the you know i mean we paint faces and we stage people and we give an offering and you take up a bark in the river and then we give offerings at the river and wash that you know so that there was and, and all of these things worked really well for people that were actually coming for chemical dependency it was a perfect thing to get him out of the house at 2 p.m. and take him to the river, because by 5 p.m. they had their first bite of root bark. They calmed down because we always do sessions at sunset, like when the sun hits hits the horizon, we start the cleansing process. Uh, and so by the time they take medicine, the sun has set and it's just starting to get dark. So we always worked at night. Like I mean, we would do some daytime booster work, but all ceremonies were conducted at night. So, which is also true so, so traditional. today
0: are you i mean i know you're doing less sessions but is it in the same style or has it have you now gone back to a more uh, traditional style
1: well if anything it's probably deepened um the spiritual the spiritual context and expression mostly because people are a lot more open to it and also because iboga and ibogaine have you know, slowly moved its way. I think a boga takes its sweet time exposing itself in culture. So it's taken a a very slow time bringing itself into the Western culture because it's taken us time to learn. and um, you know, I mean, a boga is pure power. I mean, it's pure energy. and you know, people are attracted to it, and it's really hard to determine even though you may have a deep love like I had, and deep drive and, and desire, it's a specific type of character that can carry the energy of the medicine and then also be able to hold people's energy at the same time. Um, and so, you know, that became kind of an objective. So so
0: the group you worked with uh, in Oregon were a Jungian-based group, and I understand that if someone comes to you for treatment, Uh, They have a session with a young advisor beforehand. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's Carlos. Carlos. Carlos was uh, uh, first came to our family um, to help my daughter when I was having my last alcohol uh, problem. Uh, And she met Carlos and then Carlos became kind of a fast friend in our community. And then started working with our clients one session prior to session. And then would do follow-up. Because I don't want to pretend like I'm a, a therapist or a counselor or a doctor or anything else. I'm an ex-corporate layer. So I, I don't want to misrepresent exactly what my position is in this. And same with Asha. Um, so having an outside therapist that can kind of be that particular character became very beneficial. I mean, we had the same thing in San Pancho, but we didn't have somebody that was as well-educated and Jungian um, uh, analytical, um, like Paul Levy had, and Paul Levy actually has a tremendous amount and has written several books around it. Um, So Carlos had become a a major important factor, and people are still doing online, um, you know, counseling sessions with him, either monthly or weekly. Uh, a handful of the people that we've worked with here in San Miguel in the last four years, we've probably probably worked with 30 people since we moved to San Miguel, maybe a little bit more, um, but a lot more locals. So it's been kind of this ongoing thing too. So which is also really beneficial. I mean, that was one of the things I missed was being able to have people in the community that can keep coming back and do continued work with us. So yeah, Carlos is our youngin. Uh, analyst and therapist and um, it helps people to begin the integration
0: so what do you uh, advise your clients uh, for post treatment uh, to get the most uh, benefit from the experience
1: well now that we're like kind of in these like what I would consider higher numbers of treatments for one individual we're being very, very selective of the next, what I would consider the next 150 people. I think after about a 1,000 people, that's probably a good lifetime for an Ibogaine provider doing detox. So one of our primary requests is, is that people, now what we have available, which is really remarkable, is there's a couple of aftercare centers specifically designed for people who have taken Ibogaine. There's one in Malanaco. Mexico called inscape um, which we prefer if people can afford and the time and, and money to go there um, and they also do some ayahuasca sessions after about three weeks um, which I think is beneficial as long as it's three weeks later I don't think it's very beneficial to do it too early um, and then there's a new organization called uh, root recovery and uh, I believe it's awesome Austin or San Antonio, Texas, um, and we've been building relationship with them. We've been going on a Zoom uh, smart meeting every week, and there's all these members of people who have just gone through treatment in all these different locations, but they're all doing their integration at Root Recovery. So, and I think it's reasonable. So um, our, our first and foremost desire is that, that people come out of our container um, taking medicine uh, which is basically a two-week process. So we have four days preparation, go through the main treatment process, and then you have a week of either follow-up sessions or integration here. And then we, our desires for them to go directly into a Ibogaine uh, aftercare program like Inscape or uh, a, or uh, Iboga House in, um, excuse me, Root Recovery in Texas. There was one in las vegas but i don't think they're still operating but this is like a a whole new thing that if you do those two things if you take ibogaine and you go into a a a month integration program uh, the chances are that this will actually work i mean it's like it really uh, makes the efforts that we take in providing um, and makes the outcome so much more in their favor if they're ready. I mean, that's the other thing is people have to be ready. So So, do you
0: uh, keep, um, do you do follow up on your clients? Or do you have any idea of those who have succeeded uh, to have what has made their success? Anything like that?
1: Well, that's a really, I mean, it's a difficult thing, because you have to find out what people's intent and motive and motives are. In, In other words, if somebody came down, what what I've seen is that people that came down that were really serious and really wanted to make change, fifty percent of them were doing good at six months. Um, some of them would fall off at around a year, but would come back immediately and do a second session, which is not uncommon. And you know, even in my own experience, it was necessary. Um, so people with good intention have, have we're getting fifty percent year recovery. Um, out of that 50%, probably 25% never went back at all. Right, Um, right. They just, that was it. They may have come back down and do more medicine work, but they always came back sober or not sober, non-chemically dependent. I try to really watch that kind of vocabulary. Uh, so, uh, uh, of all the people that came, um, you know, 50% were normally still doing good at six months. And that's where relapses would start out of that group that would relapse about 25% would return also. So even if you didn't have that good of an intention, or even if you weren't that ready, or even if you hadn't broken up with that boyfriend that was using, and that's where you went home to, and you know, you made it a month and a half, and then you were using with him again, whatever the scenario uh, now they knew about a boga and they knew how it worked and they knew if they were going to do it again, that they needed to be ready. And so we had a lot of people come back a year later, two years, three years later that had gone into relapse, but when they came the second time they were ready, you know? So, you know, uh, this one shot bullet kind of recovery concept just isn't. So it, it, each individual has to go through their own cycle of whatever that chapter is that they're involved in a lot of it has to do with where they are at in their chapter if they're just at the beginning of their chapter and they're getting high and it's still working i will interrupt their their behavior so to speak and they'll be off the drugs but they're they're just they're just thinking about it all the time right. they're just not ready to give it up right so, so
0: basically if someone's not serious about quitting Uh, Ibogaine will have limited uh, benefit.
1: And really, Ibogaine is just the beginning of the recovery. It's like people think, oh, this will end my addiction, but it's the beginning of recovery. So yes, there is an ending and there is a beginning happening simultaneously, which is kind of unusual for any one plant to provide. Normally, plants either bring things down or they bring things up, you know, they bring things back. This, you know, this particular plant does both. So, um, you know, people's ability to be ready for that, uh, the fact that it's the beginning, which means a lot of work and energy and effort to try to create new life patterns, new life behaviors, you know, changes of environment, new – you know, it's a whole – new job to basically begin recovery and follow it through is a lot of work and effort and energy and you have to want to be able you have to want to have that type of experience it's not going to just come to you
0: okay so um you were saying to me before that it was around 2015 that you you had your own sort of uh, moment of decision that you wanted to live a more holistic lifestyle. And that came with the idea of the, of the new stage in your work uh, to the to formation of the dream group. Uh, and also you were talking about standardizing uh, mm. aftercare. So uh, what m- kind of a, a model of aftercare do you envisage?
1: Well, I, I, I think there's a primary integration, right? We, the, the term integration applies. Aftercare really implies normally a period of time of, of of habitual, I guess, training or access to to changing habitual life patterns. In other words, where you used to go and sit at the bar and drink, you're going to do yoga, you know? In other words, replace, replacing the different behaviors and habits with new, with new behaviors and habits. All right, and that all takes time, and it takes support from people, and in, in introducing these aspects and ideas to you. So, true aftercare is basically the, what I feel is their responsibility is to help to people to adapt new practices and new behaviors and replace the old ones. So that would be what I would consider aftercare. Integration is basically the process of uh, taking what happened in the session, the breakdown of the addiction, and hopefully looking at some of the core motives associated with what the addiction was. A lot of people who, who uh, are involved in chemical dependency are self-medicating, whether it's for um, mental or emotional conditions, whether it's for trauma or abuse or sexual, uh, abuse or, uh, just difficult, uh, childhoods or just, you know, living hard lives. And like, how do they, how do they, how do they change from this, this cast character that they've been living up until that point? And how are they to bridge that, that, that transition? And that is what, we call either crystallization which is the first stage of it which is um you know the first weeks after I began the first 12 to 24 days um those are the those are the precious moments that you get to adapt an ear to the heart where you start to learn how to listen from the inside and start to be able to develop you're safe to be in your body again i mean that's what a boga does a boga basically clears out all the old characters that were uh, taking up residence in you that were keeping people from being able to progress out of their addiction. Suddenly that's all removed. And now you've got this fresh real estate and you're able to create new practices as a result of being able to be in your body again. Um, I think a lot of people who are, are suffering with chemical dependency, or just not even in their body. I know I wasn't. And then the mind, of course, the mind is just like a, a machine that you just, just doesn't have an off switch. So I think both of those are super vital to the experience of what recovery can be. Um, you know, this is where conventional treatment centers are basically, they're just they're just taking something away without replacing it. And with Ibogaine, basically, you're taking away uh, one comp- compound and offering Ibogaine in replace of it. And because it has such a strong half-life, it's a, it's a, a, s- a sufficient replacement, if people choose to, to be able to have uh, a period of time where you're not hollow as as a result of the absence of the drugs and alcohol. Um, so this is, this is like a vital key in, the, the success of, of making that transition from that old cast character into something new because you don't have that big gaping hole in you, um, where the drugs and alcohol used to live. So, um, this is what we're trying to basically consider, uh, integration and aftercare is, is, is that. As, that, as the IV gain slowly wears off over you know, two to six months or whatever, that you're taking that window of opportunity and filling it up with, with new techniques, new behaviors, new habits, and, and new outlets uh, for people to be able to use as an expression of dealing with difficulties.
0: So before you came to San Miguel de Allende, um, you know, in, in your previous life, you had set up a, a well-oiled machine which you were recreating through others around the world uh, and then you decided that you wanted to go back to a simpler way of working and now you back to your sort of roots if you like because you feel more uh, at home in that in that context so I understand mm. in San Miguel then that uh, it's more of a a family orientated environment and you have your doctor in town uh, and you're sort of operating in that context. Um, so you're more, more interested perhaps in psycho-spiritual, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, we're, we're, we're very careful now because this is how I used to work in Portland, Oregon, was I would bring people into my home and they would become like kind of part of our little family, you know, like, um, my daughter would be helping, I would be helping, um, not in Oregon, but, but, but that, that's kind of the theme is basically is we're bringing people into our home and we're an aboga family. Um, we've all worked with the medicine. We've all been around the healing of the medicine. And so I think mean, we have to be kind of careful about who we bring in and, um, and screening and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, we're being a little bit more targeted. I mean, the good news is, the good news is, Lee, is that there's a lot more clinics out there now that have basically implemented some of the standards of safety and care that we established through Gita, and um, you know some of the other resources for safe practice. And so, I don't feel su- such a responsibility to provide treatments for for chemical dependency as i once did i feel that there are safe places now um, and that people have a choice to go to those places if that's where they you know if they need to go right away or whatever um we've got a couple of good referrals uh, where we feel that they're practicing safe conduct etc and they're doing safe treatments so we don't feel the obligation that we once had to having to like take everybody that called because they had, I didn't want them going anywhere else because I was, I was worried for their safety right. and right. I don't feel that way anymore.
0: Right. But yeah. there is a, in the issue around uh, clinics, which are if yes. you like, opening up overnight uh, and shutting down several months later. I mean, I think it's a bit of, there is a risk for anybody seeking treatment yes Uh, to find the right clinic
1: um absolutely i mean it's been very slow uh it's been a very slow progress um getting some consistently operative i mean yeah you know we've been operating consistently since 2006 when the website went up and we claimed our first day of business and all that kind of stuff but there's not many places that have been around that long um And even some of those aren't really, you know, they're still trying to do it in like five day or seven day rapid detox type presentation. And it's just not efficient or effective. And personally, I don't think it's very safe, but, um, Mm. but yeah, it's hard for people because they are in a state of desperation. They've heard about Ibogaine and the only thing on the forefront of their mind is, is I just got to go get this done, you know? And. And it's, it's, God, it's, it's so difficult to try to tell somebody, look, you've got to slow down. You've got to, there's a tremendous amount of information available now. Um, And I think that it's really important that you really understand what it is you're getting into so that you can get as much benefit from it um, as possible. Because it's, because it still is very, very new at the same time. I mean, it's like... Hmm. We're up to what, 35, maybe 40,000, 45,000 people tops that have taken Ibogaine for chemical dependency. I mean, 70,000 people are overdosing a year. I mean, it's like, so, you know, I don't see Ibogaine being the end all be all, but it's, it's certainly growing and expanding. Um, and it's also very difficult for people to find good people to work with. So, mm. I mean, we spend a lot of time on the phone with people just providing information and helping them guide them towards whatever, whatever kind of situation is going to best serve them. But back to us again, you know, it's like when I, when I came out of San poncho, I basically what felt like had my fill of doing detox work and I had to let it go in order to sober up, you know, the alcohol really, I was surprised. I, I, I never had respect for alcohol, but it got a good hold of me and, I had to, in order to, to uh, create a new life, I had to let go of everything, including my work with Iboga, in order to obtain sobriety again. And so there was a period of about two years there that I mean I, I may have done a few sessions during that time, but I wasn't really sure if I was coming back to it or not. I let it go, and uh, and it has come back. And I've seen other people where they let it go and they just moved on to a different part of their life. I do believe that this is a part of my life. It did come back and it's come back in a big way. And that's what motivated us to build a new website was we need to evolve along with ourselves and with the needs of people who we have worked with and also to also represent Iboga in its capacity to spread itself to help with other conditions other than addiction um, that we've become very aware of um, maybe through the addiction process but uh, there's so many other channels that iboga can help with people that have multiple of conditions like osteomyelitis no osteomyelitis of fibromyalgia uh dementia uh parkinson's i mean it's there's like a whole new list of different channels of experimentation that's going on um psychotherapeutic values um working with people with trauma like all these other fields which basically is kind of where i'm at is where i'm at in my own recovery so um i feel like we need to move forward not backwards
0: right so uh, do you keep in touch uh, with your clients, is there some way of measuring their uh, ongoing success?
1: Well, I'd say a handful. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, there's people that came and took IB. You know, it's a funny thing, right? It's a very intimate experience. Um, it's almost like we become fast friends overnight, and and it's like they never want to think about it again. <laughs> they don't want to talk to us again. They don't want to think about what they did you know it's 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 this phenomena where there's so many people that came down and spent two weeks with us and lived with us and um, you know were are part of our waking days and nights and um they went home and never heard from them again and i don't you know i don't take it personally i don't think that it's any reflection upon us i think it's you know it was a difficult process people really don't want to think about it much more that they're on the other side or they just went back to getting loaded whatever a lot of people are ashamed if they got loaded afterwards and it's like they'll use for a whole year before they'll call us i'm like why did you call me when it happened like i mean of all the people in the world you know that understand it's gonna you know i understand i struggled like that I, i i i struggled like that you know or get out of rehab and and A week later, I'm loaded again or get out of jail and be like, "Okay, this is it. I'm done. And then like within hours, I'm loaded again. So, you know, all the different levels of shame that come with addiction are just unbearable. Um, And so maybe that might be some of why people don't call. Um, You know, I don't know. I don't know. But the handful of people that have stayed in touch with us which is a good you know a couple hundred maybe 250 people that we have a regular uh, ongoing check in with um it's really remarkable like they they're doing really really well which is about a third you know I'd say about a third of the people that I've worked with I have a regular ongoing relationship with
0: and as a matter of interest are they coming from a broad background of dependency or is there particular uh, types of dependency they have just is anything stand out about that group
1: um well some of the extreme it's some of the extremists in other words p- people that were like me that you know were hardcore and you know this worked you know um so they kind of have that glow in their heart for a boga like i have um and then there's A lot of young people a lot of people that were in their 20s early 20s that are now 10 years you know out of it they may have had a couple of relapses or whatever but like now they're in school getting their PhDs or they're becoming EMTs or they're having children I mean lives that they never would have lives they never would have thought they wanted number one or, or ever expected to be living themselves you know it's like um there's a lot of, a lot of young guys and girls that, like a, a surprising number that basically had 10 or 15 years of their life in addiction um taken away for them, and they were able to like regain uh their mid-twenties time period, whatever and and catch up catch up maturely, you know, because when people start getting loaded, you kind of stop growing emotionally, you know, so they were able to catch up. Let's put it that way. They were able to catch up and get back off on the horse of life and move towards what, what it was that they were here to do to begin with. But somehow the addiction chapter played a part in their life and maybe that'll help benefit them down the road. Who knows? But they find it unusual that they're standing in this new place and that, that at one time, their addiction was their whole life, and it's hard for them to imagine that that's where they, you know, were would be ten years later too, you know. So, uh, you know, we're saving saving life, not absolutely, lives, but absolutely. saving actual lifetime, um, which I think is very profound.
0: Um, what a say- question! Yes, I mean, uh, uh, your the sessions you you know you mentioned to me before about this, this wish to. Um, if you like, find a happy medium between the medical practice I again and the uh, if you like the Puii psycho spiritual. So, um, you know, I know that you use Puii mu- music in your ceremonies, or is that correct?
1: That's correct. Yeah, for yeah. the first
0: four to eight mm-hmm. hours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, I mean, uh, uh, most of that music is from friends that had gone to Gabon, and had done ceremony and and just did the recordings. Um, Robert uh, Bovenga, uh, Robert Payne, provided a whole bunch of uh, of music for us. Um, I think uh, does your intro? I have I have that album. (laughs) Like like that was so that was some of the first. Uh, bobonga music that that was that was the bobonga tribes music that somehow filtered into the community and uh i had like four of those four four of those uh musicians uh cds i mean we were playing these like cds and then we re- we would wear them out and then we would re- you know before they had ipods and stuff um and you know we would wear these cds out and make new ones and wear them out again you know playing these discs over and over and over again is pretty funny but yeah when i hear your intro i I know that album um the music is super profound uh polyrhythmic um uh dream dream inducing state music uh has huge benefits in the session itself I, i i find it to be Uh, a crucial element and it it, it's not meant to be very loud it's meant to be like kind of like pillows filling the empty space in the room people think it's the same song playing over and over again you know like they're not listening to it that carefully it's just supposed to be there to help fill the space within the room to create a container to do travel in or to do journey work in
0: so how much yeah how much music then do you keep in, in the ceremony, how much uh, is, is there music throughout the ceremony?
1: Um, like I said, normally for the first four hours uh, to, to eight hours, we use uh, strictly Buiti music. Then we will go into a transition period where it's still African tribal music, still probably Babanga or Misoka. But it's not boody, and then we'll we'll go into what we call atmospheric music, which is you know, like um, like meditation music, and basically you're slowing down the pace of the rhythms as the journey like starts to slow down. In other words, you know the first four to six eight hours, it's like you got the throttle, you know, on full. And about at four to six hours, it's like somebody let up the throttle on on the strength of the medicine, and that's when we want to start to make the transition. And then as it starts to slow down a little more, you know, and this is going on through the night, of course. Uh, then we use the atmospheric music so that we're still at the same pace that the medicine is at, and they're still dreaming actively, but it's just not with the throttle. Uh, uh, yeah, that's about the best way I can describe right. it. Is that
0: so? We're you not. Know, it's prior to the actual uh, ceremony are there any other um, preparatory um, protocols or processes that you follow
1: well when we when we were in san poncho and we're still trying to locate one here the river wash ceremony is is a is a really awesome experience i mean it's like an opportunity number one it kind of shocks the system um or prepares them, you know, getting into water and being washed by two men or a man and a woman in in, in certain cases, um, and then giving offerings, and then we christen them with Fanta and wine and beer and um, and then treats for the river spirits, um, and then we give them that first bite of root bark. By the time we get home, that first bite of root bark. They all kind of want to go upstairs and shower off and, you know, now they have a couple hours quiet time before the session comes, before the sun starts setting. And then right when that sun hits the edge of the horizon, uh, we start to do the staging process and then we have what we call the, the last hour interview where we have a sit down and we go through a uh, Uh, a single page of information have you received supplements in the last 24 hours have you had a bowel movement um you know um and then and then there's a period at the very end is there anything heavy on your heart that you would like to leave right here and now um that you would like to express as to not drag into your session so if somebody has um a real fear or they've done something terribly bad and they're worried that it's gonna they're gonna get beat up by it or something going into the session um there's a uh we don't call it confession but it's kind of an opportunity to make sure that there's nothing heavy on somebody's mind prior to going into the session and i've heard all kinds of interesting things when people have that opportunity and it's without comment or response it's like there's there's I'm just there to allow them to discharge any concerns, worries, uh, thoughts that keep taking their mind away from what they're about to get involved in. Uh, it could vary. Um, but that's, that is part of the preparation preparatory period. And then we start to go, we do face painting in some cases, just a little red and a little white. And then they have an intention candle, which basically burns for about 36 hours. So it's like, it's also an hourglass, which helps people. So you go, you, this is where you can set your intentions into this candle, but keep your eye on it. Cause until it gets to the bottom, you're in process. And, you know, so people will go four, six hours and the throttle comes off and they go, well, is it over? I said, look at your candle. I go, this is going on until tomorrow, buddy. You know, like you'd <laughs> see this is going on <laughs> through the night maybe not you know it won't be as extreme but but that that candle it has significance and we always use three candles in the room one on the left one on the right and then the one that they lit sits in front of a big mirror so every bedroom has a big mirror uh the mirror of course there's a mirror right next to the side of the bed if people choose to look into it which is also part of the tradition that you can look into the mirror um it's a a very interesting experience while you're Uh, under the influence of the medicine if you if you can sit up and do it Um, So yeah, we try to have these elements available And that that kind of outlines like I guess the introduction period
0: Okay, so uh, from the time that the person arrives uh, until uh, They begin the ceremony. uh, How much time are we talking here?
1: At least four days
0: Okay, and then the, the ceremony begins with the river wash. That would be the ideal situation, is that right?
1: Yeah, around 2 p.m.
0: Okay, and then uh, they first ingest, as you explained, and then there's a, 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 there's a little break, and then you give them um, a step dose, uh, I presume, of the medicine, depending on what they're there for. Is that it?
1: That's correct, and and normally the the root bark will have a second dairy purpose, which is what they call a test dose. Um, I don't totally believe that a test dose is a necessity. In other words, like a one milligram or a hundred milligrams of um, you know hydrochloride or something as a test dose. Uh, I don't. I've never seen, or do I believe that there would be an allergic reaction of that scale, like we'll say anaphylactic shock. I mean, we have a kit right for anything like that to happen. But, um, normally if they have a, a a bite or root bark, uh, we'll normally give somebody a bite or root bark if they're not going to do it. If we're not going to do the river wash, they'll have a a bite of root bark uh, on the second or third day that they arrive, you know, as kind of like, let's get this out of the way. In most cases with people nowadays, we do what we call an introduction session first. In other words, if it's not an opiate detox, we do an introduction session, working with just total alkaloid, um, around 250 to 350 milligrams, as a, as an introduction, like taking somebody out to coffee before you take them to bed. You know, it's like we're gonna we're gonna let you have a small session uh, called an intro. And what that does for people is, is they get enough of a feeling of the medicine that like 80% of their fears around the medicine fall. Mm. So the anticipation and the fear and the buildup of going into a major session, we neutralize that by doing an intro session with the TA normally on day four. Then it might be two more days before they do the main session, but they've had an opportunity now to basically process the medicine get a little bit of a feel for it they may have a little bit of dreaming but they'll feel it in their body and they'll get a feel for you know and then from the body's point of view it's allowing the liver to make the particular enzymes to break it down it's like it's not just this big crashing wave of this new compound in high you know high doses that's that that's like kind of rude to do that to somebody you know it's like if you have the space and time to do this, we always do an intro session first. And then by the time uh, the couple of days goes by, you know, so they they might not sleep that night, and the next day, you know, we'll get them back on their normal diet. And we'll make sure they have a bowel movement, and then the following day they can do their main session. Um, and our whole attitude about what they're about to get into is they're excited. They're like ready. They're like, I get it. I, I, I understand this now. Um, super, super valuable uh, to practice an intro session prior to doing a main uh, initiatory dose.
0: And so when the main initiatory dose is finished, how, how much longer do they stay with you? And what uh, what do you
1: do during that time? Well, the first, uh, they're, they're, they're in our um, container is what we call it. We create a container for 72 hours from the time they take the medicine. So that 72 hours is the time that it takes for the medicine to do its full breakdown process. In other words, in the first 45 minutes, Ibogaine starts to change to nor Ibogaine. And then you're basically having the experience of the Ibogaine and its breakdown process for that initial night. The next day, you're still feeling the medicine. And what we're starting to do is introduce fluids to you and smoothies and nutrition and electrolytes. You know, normally coconut water is like the supreme electrolyte drink. Um, and then that night they need to sleep, uh, whether it be detox or whether it be psychospiritual, spiritual, because the brain has to basically reboot and you have to go unconscious into sleep for at least a couple hours to get the reboot. Because if treatments start going into days and days, Um, it can really have it can actually come back it can can come back in a negative way Um, it's it's necessary for the brain to have that reset period to really distinguish between what uh, part was the treatment and then what part was the detox so in psychospiritual it's the same thing it's allowing for the reboot. Now, in most cases with psycho-spiritual, we do not offer anything to help induce sleep, um, that we just let the medicine burn off and then they'll, 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 they will fall asleep um, during the night, uh, on the second night. You know, the first night they were up all night, they were up all day, they were up all day, up all night, up all day. So they're tired at the end. Like by that night, they just wanna crawl into bed at like eight or nine, 10 o'clock and go to sleep. I tell people if they are brave enough to go outside and sit in nature and something will come to them. Uh, and It's almost consistent. Like if you, if, if you on the second night go sit alone out in nature, something will come to you, whether with your eyes closed. I, I've had a black panther walk right up to me and was licking the glass on a sliding glass door. And I, I remember asking the woman, and this was in California – do you, do you have a big black cat running around town? You know, like, and she's like, well, how big I go the size of a Doberman pincher. And she's like, Rocky, you saw, you, you dream that I said, no, no, I saw it. I could see the steam from its nose on the glass. I mean, this thing was walking back and forth across the deck. I don't know what to call that. I don't know what you want to interpret that mm-hmm. as, but a, a big black cat coming up, looking at you eye to eye through the sliding glass window was like kind of a a gift you know so people have you know if people have the strength because of course they're wiped out it's like if you can push yourself just a little further there's something out there waiting for you to understand and you know some people will do it and some won't so i i do you feel that you have arrived
0: at your uh, if you like ideal uh, scenario or situation as far as uh, working with people now, Are, is is this where you want to be?
1: Um, yeah, I can answer yes to that. I I feel like I did my my, my inner work um, as a result of the ten year project. Um, I had a lot of I made a lot of mistakes. You know, like I could see. I could see the mistakes I made. It took a few years for me to get off my own back about how things went. Even though, like I said, nothing real terrible happened, but it's just a real hard it's a real hard arena. You can really, you know, uh, beat yourself up over handling situations a certain way, whatever. So it took a little while for that initial charge um to kind of calm down and then whatever mistakes i had made i was able to kind of look at it from a different point of view as i got better that it was a learning process of course we're doing something very new and now i don't feel very bad at all and i went to san poncho this winter and, and uh stayed for a couple months uh, which was really cool to go back there and not be like on, you know, like on call work furlough. Um, I got to be kind of like a tourist in the town that was so beautiful that I had to work every day and, you know, like i never got to let my guard down. Um, and it was really cool because I got to see some of the old providers and I saw some of the people who were, you know, clients that basically moved to San Pancho from the very first year we were there that are still living there. I mean, there's right. probably 25 people living in Sialita and San Pancho that I worked with in the first couple of years that are still there. You know, uh, it's really cool. So
0: uh, from all of your experience, uh, do you have advice for anybody who's considering uh, taking on the role of a provider um, You know, that has been through treatment and are blown away by the power of iboga what would you say to such people
1: well i mean we trained a lot of people i mean a lot of people stuck around and wanted to learn Um, we had a whole i think the first place to start and this is where we always started people was in in aftercare in other words helping people integrate and so before you start to go into the container providing sessions i think it's vital that the the first stage of learning be in the integration in other words if number 1 you have to take the medicine in other words uh, i think anybody that's going to work with the medicine has to have had a an experience with the medicine in order to understand it and to provide it now that's just my personal beliefs i know there's providers out there that have not taken ibigain and probably are doing just fine but for us in the way that we worked with people the first the first requirement was to have an experience and then to see if that experience out of that experience they still have a desire or a uh, drive to continue on to learn um, how to uh, administer and then from there you start with the integration which was a separate house Um, so they were able to see people coming fresh out of treatment uh normally they spent a couple months there um and then we would start bringing bringing them into the day after treatment helping uh that's kind of like asha's forte is like the reassembling of somebody so i mean Basically, Ivy gains a life, death, rebirth experience, regardless of the reason you're taking it. And so, in the morning, you're like an infant. You can you can't even eat solid food really. Like you can only eat smoothies and liquids. And then, as the day progresses, you you know you start to be able to have fresh fruit and yogurt. And as the day progresses, we would always make a pot of homemade soup. You know, and that would be your initial first meal. Um, about the same time, you would take a shower. You know, and kind of wash off the the experience you know so we would allow people that kind of uh period of exposure and then once that seemed to be like integrated into their uh into their learning they would start to sit in sessions with us um that seems like it takes about 25 treatments of observation um i believe that people should witness and be under the supervision and guidance of a provider for about 25 sessions before they start considering trying to do it on their own. Um, and then you have to start off very simply. You don't start with, like, a major detox. You start with a psychospiritual and start to learn the rhythm of the medicine and how to observe it in people, how to track them. Um, we use a pulse oximeter and blood pressure cuff um, to basically get reports of their stability and, um, you know, during the session and stuff like that, uh, it's rare that we would ever use an EKG. We, we just never had complications because we took a lot of time in preparing people, and so by the time they were ready to take ibogaine, they they were literally ready physically, emotionally, mentally, um, spiritually. I, I can't really attest to because there's no right. way to judge that. Yeah. Uh, but that that those were the that, that was the kind of the outline that I was trying to share with as many people who had the heart for it as as we could um, provide.
0: Yes I mean that's why it's it's good to be talking with you because I know that you know during your own um, training period you witnessed a number of adverse reactions that influenced uh, your own approach to uh, treatment later on uh, and so why, I'm, why I like this podcast is that it's giving people the opportunity to get a sense of, you know, what is good for uh, a treatment to succeed and, you know, and how we can honor at the same time the tradition of the Bwiti if we feel that way inclined. Of course, a lot of people will, will not be interested in the Bwiti. They're only interested in uh, detoxification
1: yeah yeah and we never pushed anything on anybody i was surprised i was surprised how many people were willing to participate and and i think that that was a, an a testament to the original approach to meeting people eye to eye in other words from the very beginning I, I i wasn't bossing anybody around or i mean you know we had to play the adult at times um but for the most part people were very responsive and they got very comfortable with the way we lived because this is how we lived i mean providing ibogaine isn't a nine to five job this is a way of life and so you know as they spent time with us and realized this is just their this is how we live our life it was very attractive to many many people it was Something that they'd never gotten to witness or participate in before. I mean, some of the people that stayed down with me and, and, and worked with me said, you know, those, those couple of years with you guys, uh, working with you is the only time I never worried about rent. I never worried about money. I, like, we never worried. We were always taken care of. Being in a service position, you have to be available at the call. In other words, when they arrive, when they, whatever it is, we have to be available for that. By 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 being in that role of service, all of our other needs and necessities were cared for and provided for. And it became like such an ideal way of life that my needs are always taken care of and provided for and, and, in, a, and in a good quality, like a good quality of life. Like I had a little cabin out in the woods where I lived and a little – quad to ride in and out of, you know, but it, was, it wasn't like I had a lot of money, but I had I had everything I needed and I had a, a really good quality of life. And and I enjoyed it, you know, and it was how I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, know,
0: I, what strikes me is, I mean, in your third session, you had yourself personally, you had a strong connection with the breathing spirit where you were given directions and how you should treat people and so forth. So it does strike me that, you know, you have a strong connection to the plant and that what you're doing is what it seems you were called uh, to do. I'm wondering, um, you know, uh, in terms of merging the Buiti with the Western, um, you know, is, do you feel that that now is, you know, are you are you settled in yourself in that regards?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a whole evolution of really coming to the conclusion that, number one, a very specific spirit came with the IVB game to help us with this very specific problem at that time. Since then, um, it's expanded itself into the public view. In other words, now therapists are attracted to it and wanting to come and experience it. People who've been in recovery are wanting to come and experience it. And so um, it's developed its own form of buiti here. It's it's we're never gonna duplicate what's been going on in Africa. That's been going on for thousands of years. And it doesn't want us to to, to do that. It wants to have the homeland be the homeland. If you want to go and do a, a buiti initiation, you need to go to Africa. I mean it's just that's just the way it is. Um, we thought maybe there was a way to to somehow like do that, but you can't. You can't. It's just it's not possible. So the next option was really recognizing uh, number one that I had been through the initiatory process, every aspect of it almost, um, based on traditional Guiri um, ceremonies, and 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 I realized like I bought plane tickets three times to go to Gabon, and I realized I don't need to go like. I, I, it was, it was such a, it, it was such a, like, um, I'd get the ticket and then immediately feel like I did something wrong and then go, I'm not supposed to go. Um, we're creating booty here in a different tone in a different style, but we are, we are an extension. Um, and so today I feel very comfortable in the, in what that expression is like and how we work more in the language that we use in association with how a treatment is and what it is to receive a treatment and what is actually happening in the body and how this works you know and it has kind of a spiritual undertone but it's not predominant like i don't want to i had a woman get on the phone with me going you know, we're, we're, we're really Christian families, you know, and this is kind of sounds like demonic kind of stuff, which, you know, I guess, according to some beliefs, it would, it would be kind of in that arena. And I said, I go, your son is possessed by an opium spirit. That's killing him. He needs an exorcism. And she said, you're right. I mean, just by the change of the language and the right. term exorcism, She was able to relate to it in a way that was she said he's not who he is you're right right, rocky he's not who he is and and we have to get that out of him and and so
0: yeah and i think actually the word exorcism is is not far from the truth uh absolutely you know because really um all things contain spirit uh you know and and the opiate plant also contains a spirit and sure. what it enables in the body is an, is if you like, is an influx of dark spirits. So, there is a quite a an exorcistic if you, nature aspect to all of this.
1: And you have to, if you try to attack an opiate spirit directly, it will it will deflect you. So you have to seduce it. You have to seduce it out. And I've actually seen this like in actual physical form. Like I've actually seen. How we were able to seduce that, like, especially with methadone and it it was dramatic um, to see that spirit come out of somebody Uh, and and then see the aboga go in. And uh, and so you're like kind of lying there like you're this kind of vessel and (laughs) you're this vessel and there's like this war going on inside you between these two spirits. Um and of course, a boga seems to always win, uh, if you follow through. Um, and it was kind of like a horse race. like we'd see the head of the opium spirit start to rise with some withdrawal symptoms and then we would administer some Ibogaine, again and we'd see it go back down again. It was like a horse race and my my horse always won, you know the boga horse always always won out. Um, you know most of the time. We always had one person uh, a year which is kind of like maybe a five percent, uh, ratio or whatever about five percent of the people abort they 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 just go I, I can't i can't do this I, i'm i i want i want i want my normally methadone I want my methadone back well, I shouldn't say that because a lot of people was just i just i want my heroin back or I want my 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 oxycotton back or whatever it was um, so there was about one person a year that would abort And it was like, it's fine, dude. Like, now you know uh, when the time is ready, uh, where to call us, if you want to come here or whatever. You you can't, you can't, you know, make people do things that they're not ready to do.
0: Right, right. Yes, well, Rocky, we've um, been talking now for a while, and I suppose it's probably a good time to wrap it up. And I'm just hoping that, you know, we have covered everything uh, of that you know that that uh, would be of use in this podcast to people listening if there's something you feel we haven't discussed please feel free to bring it up
1: um no we've done a really good job actually and we've got to talk about a lot of things that I don't normally get to talk about which has been really um satisfying uh i mean the only thing that that popped into my mind was was screening right I think it's just really vital. One of the things that I think we learned right away was, and like I said, uh, if, if I couldn't treat somebody, in other words, if I felt I couldn't provide the things that they needed, it was easy for me to say, she can help you or he can help you or they can help you. In other words, I had to stay within the framework of my experience. If I went outside of that framework of my own personal experience, of things that I've witnessed and and, and endured and dealt with um, I, I had I had to give it give it to somebody that had the experience and apparently this seems to be the custom in Africa too like there's uh, people who specialize in uh, extracting bad spirits there's people who specialize in, in in mental disorders like depression there's people that specialize in you know different aspects of the of like initiation and so um, I just think it's really important for people as providers or whatever, if, if you're in a, if you, if you feel that you're, you're working in, a, in a, a field with an individual who has conditions or circumstances that you are not familiar with, it's our responsibility uh, to, to basically um, not give them medicine and not put them in a, in a position of, of risk and to guide them in the direction that somebody could help them in other words you know giving us giving somebody a no answer is really hard right but giving somebody an option um and 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 coming from a place of saying hey i'm just i just don't have the experience and i just don't have what it is that is necessary to provide you with a safe treatment but these are the options that that are available to you as as a choice so Yeah, just that one thing, just the ego, man. The ego has to really be. Yes, the whole
0: question of um, um, provider, um, if you like, services, uh, which Gita were hoping to, um, you know, deal with in terms of organizing the providers. And, And so far, it doesn't seem to have succeeded in that goal. But where our fingers are crossed, because there is a need for, uh, there is a need in the community for uh, standards and on over you know oversight. Um, otherwise, the community eventually will be replaced by something else. Um, so it's the choice of the community to you know to burn out or to ex- to survive. Hopefully, we will see. Uh, movement in that area w- with key to uh, uh, you know in, in the near future fingers crossed so um rocky thank you very much uh, you know the purpose of these podcasts is to convey as much as we can to the wider world the people coming along and i think you've done your share and uh, you know i thank you for the work you've done and what you've contributed to the community and i wish you every success in what you have planned going forward
1: well, thank you very much, Lee, and, and, say, and saying back to you, uh, you've always been a key character in this, um, and I thank you.
0: Well, that's very kind of you to say. It's a pleasure. I'll speak with you again soon, Rocky. Take care. All right. You have a good day. All the best. Bye.